theyeshiva.net. The Baal Shem Tev was born in the year Tafnun Ches, Elo, Chai Elo Tafnun Ches, which is 1698. He passed away, Shvuas Tov Kuf Chaf, which is 1760. When the Baal Shem Tev passed away, he was succeeded by his student for a year by his son, Reb Tzvi. And then the next year, Shvuas Tov Kuf Chafal of 1761, his son Reb Tzvi, in the middle of the meal, publicly said that uh, leadership went over to the Magad of Mizrich, Reb Doiv Ber, and uh, the Magad of Mizrich succeeded the Baal Shem Tev. This is the second generation of Hasidus. And he was really the one who consolidated the Shitta, developed it, crystallized it, and raised a generation of, of giants, of students who were giants. He passed away 12 years later. Yutas Kislev, Yat Kislev, Tovkov Lamad Gimel, 1772. And once the Magad of Mizrich passed away in a city in the Ukraine, a little city called Anapoli, where he's buried. Oshemtov was in Mezhebush, also in the Ukraine, where he's buried. So now the students of the Magad travel to different places, and each one established, many of them established, their own uh, spiritual dynasty or empire. The Baal had 60 students, 60, I mean, we're called 60, he had many, but he had 60 students known as the Chavrayi Kaddish, very close Talmidim, who were mostly big Goinim, he had big Rabbonim among them. He told us Yaakov Yosef, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Palma, Rabbi Chaim HaKoyen Rappaport, the Magad of Mizrich himself, Rabbi Michal Zlotshever, Rabbi Nachem, I mean, great, great minds, great hearts. The Magad had in his Chavrayi Kaddish double, 120. And each of them established, or many of them established their own dynasty. Some of the great names are well known. You'll have the Baditshevet of Levitzik of Baditshevet, the Kedusha Slavi. You have the Rebbe of Melech of Lezhensk, Noem Ali Melech. Baditshevet remained in the Ukraine, and Noem Ali Melech went to Poland to Lezhensk. You had the two brothers, the Balhafla. The Balhafla was the Rav of Frankfurt, Repinchas Halevi Horowitz, who wrote a sefer, Maknan Kedushin, very yeshivish sefer, Hafla and Ksuvis, Panam Yafas and Chumash. He had a brother of Shmelka of Niklesburg. He had, I said, Reb Nochem Chernobyl, that was the whole Chernobyl dynasty, also in, also in the Ukraine. The Chayza of Lublin, Poland, the Kozhnitz Amagat, Poland, the Bzusha of Anapoli, remained in the Ukraine. Reb Wolf of Zhitomir, I'm just giving some of the, the early great, uh, great luminaries of the world uh, the world of Chassidus. He had Repinchas Karitzer, he was still from the Baal Shem Tev, and so forth. Gershon Kitzvah was a brother-in-law of the Baal Shem Tev. Gershon Kitzvah was a brother-in-law of the Baal Shem Tev. Yehad Reb Menachem Mendel of Horodok was considered one of the oldest Talmidim of the Magad. He's known also as Reb Mendel Vitebsker. He wrote a sefer called Pri Haaretz. Nachem Chernobyl wrote a sefer called Moir Enayim. Yaakov Yosef wrote a sefer told us Yaakov Yosef. These are the earliest works of Hasidus that emerged. Yosef Divrayim is some others. When the market passed away, the Mendel Haradaker in in the area of uh, of Belarus and Lithuania, which is up north and west from parts of Ukraine. They, Reb Mendel of Vitebsket became the, the, 
the Nasi over there, the leader over there, and the Balatanya was a chassid of his. He decided to make Aliyah to Yisrael. There was a, two huge Aliyahs then from Talmidi Hagra, students of the Vilna Gaon, and Talmidim of the Magad of Mizrich. Talmidi Hagra went to Yerushalayim, Talmidim of the Magad of Mizrich went to Tzfas and Tveria. The two great giants that went were Reb Avram of Kalis, who was a student of the Magad, another student, and you had also Reb, uh, Reb Mendel Haradaka, the Priya Aritzalam. The Balatanya wanted to go to Yisrael with them, and he went. He went. This was Tovkov Lamad Zion, just a few years after the Magad passed away, 1777. On the way, Reb Mendel Vitebsker told the Balatanya that there's no way he can go, because really he must take leadership position in Russia and Lithuania and Belarus. It was called White Russia where he lived. He came from a city called Lyozhna, which was in right Russia. Today it's called Belarus. Then it was called Vice Ruslan, Russia Levana, White Russia. Why White Russia? That's another, another debate, not for now. But uh, So he went back. He went back. And that's when he really became... Uh, he, he, he started to, to um, assume a position of, of spiritual leadership in his city, in his town where he was born and he was raised and where he came back to, which is a little town called Lyazhna. She could still go visit, although there's no trace of Jewish life, I think, besides a, uh, a, uh, a kaver, kaver achem, a grave of all the victims. Uh, the Germans destroyed all the communities in Belarus and Lithuania. The Einsatzgruppers came from city to city and shot everybody, so you have mass graves there of Jews from the Holocaust. That's what's left in many of these cities. Liadi also, which was the second city where he moved from Lyazhna to Liadi. Until the Medla Haradaka didn't pass away, which was only 10 years later, Tovkov Memches, 17, uh, uh, 1787. Which day? <laughs> the Mendel Haradaka's yard site. The Mendel Vitebsker. Till he didn't pass away, the, the Balatanya was still uh, much more quiet, much more introspective, silent. When the, when the Mendel Haradaka passed away, which was his Rebbe, so then really he, uh, his reputation emerged fully, it exploded very heavily. But it wasn't easy for him. Naturally, huh? Oh. There was once a mice, I heard this mice from the Lubavitcher Rebbe once, out of Fabrengen. But he was once sitting in his house, he was sitting by the window, and he saw many people walking down the street. So the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya said, Vos for me. What do they want from me? He knew that they were coming to hear Torah. His wife, he had a rebetzin, her name was Sterna. She had a lot of mysterious nefesh because her father was a very wealthy Jew and he took the Balatanya as a son-in-law because of his reputation. They wrote on him when he was 13, Rav Tana Opolik. They wrote on him <laughs> in Lyosna, in the Pincus over there. Rav Tana Opolik. So he took him as a son-in-law. He couldn't get such a son-in-law. And then when he discovered that his son-in-law went to the Magad of Mizrich and he was from the opposite camp, he not only banned him and excommunicated him, he demanded from his wife to give a divorce to his, her husband, and she didn't. She fought her father, so it wasn't simple. It was a lot, and she was a young, she was a young, a young woman, but she stayed at the side of her husband. So she understood that that moment the Alter Rebbe was having what we would call today an existential crisis. Although I don't know if I would apply those words exactly, but he was having an inner turmoil when he saw them all coming, and he says, "Vos villains for me? What do they want from me?" And she realized that it's a fateful moment where she could, so to speak, you know, turn it this way or that way because there's moments in life when you really have to establish who you are. 
So she, this is, this is real, Aisha's Chayla, Teres Baile, you know, a woman says the right thing at the right time and she could change history. She tells her husband, she said in Yiddish, she said, Do mainstas they come in so dear that so Heron was do zoxed? Nay! They will in Heron was dying Rebbe had gezoxed. You think they're coming to you to hear what you have to say? No! They're coming to you to hear what your Rebbe had to say. So the Alter Rebbe said, Oi bazoi! And it says, Azoi! If that's the case, then I'll speak and speak and speak. I won't stop. And that's what happened. And he opened the door and he let them come in. So the Alter Rebbe was extremely faithful and loyal to the teachings of his teacher, the Magid, and his teacher, the Balshamtev. In fact, he called the Magid the Tata, and the Balshamtev he called the Zayda. In fact, when he was arrested in Tovkov Nontes, 1798, after Sukkot, as the representative of the world of Hasidim and Hasidus, because he was the, so to speak, the shining star of that world, he was the one who carried responsibility for the fact that the Torah of Shem Tev, according to the Mesira that was given to the government, is corrupting the Jewish world, and is also helping the the Turks, the Sultan in, 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 in Palestine, in Israel, Turkey was hostile with Russia, as it always is, and uh, their, their neighbors, and uh, the Al-Tarev would, uh, would send a lot of money to Eretz Yisrael, for the near Eretz Yisrael, and this was a sign that he's helping the, the Turks to, to, to stage revolt against Russia, and other mysterious, another mysterious. When Al-Tarev went to visit Rebaruchal of Mezhebush, Rebaruchal of Mezhebush was in the Ukraine, a grandson of the Balshemtev. He was... Uh, he was a, a, a son of Adul, who was the daughter of the Balshemtiv. And Rebarachal of Mezhebush, as you'll see in a moment, had a very heavy argument with the Balatanya. The Balatanya, and the, the Barachal said, I'm a grandson. I was the one who was chosen to defend, to, to defend the Balshemtiv in prison very heavily. To the point that once Dalter Rebbe was t- said that they asked him in prison if he's a follower of the Balshemtiv. And he said, if I would have said no, if I would have said no, they would have let me go. But But I couldn't get myself to detach from the Baal Shem Tev, even from their perspective, for just a few minutes. I wouldn't be sincere. I would just say no to get out of their clutches, but he says he couldn't do it. And yet, something very interesting happened. And that is, the Kav of Chassidus, the way it was filtered through the Alter Rebbe's mind and pen, developed and assumed a very different uh, nature or color than the world of Chassidus, the way it was filtered through the minds and pens of most of his, of all of, not most, all of his friends and colleagues. Most of the Talmud Hamagat were completely in awe of him. The Lebitzik Baditchever said, writes in a letter, and he says that uh, I don't know what anybody says. I know that he was the beloved student of the Magid and Samach Yadovalov. He was the man when he had to write, he felt there should be a Shulchan Aruch. He gave the Shulchan Aruch to one person to write. The Magid is the one who told him to write a Shulchan Aruch. You don't give a Shulchan Aruch to, to write to, to Stamat Talmud Chacham. Shulchan Aruch means. Your appreciation of Judaism is, 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 is absolute. It's, you have the bird's eye view of everything. A whole halacha. And you also, you have to know Nister also. 
And the Baditshava writes in a letter and he says, I'll say it in Yiddish the way he wrote it, he says, Mirabin Alagesan Fun Ain Teller on the Litva Kotgenum and the Smetana. Which means we all ate from one dish. But the Litvak, they called him the Litvak because he came from Lithuania. And that was his style. He was analytical. And the Litvaks were known as analytical people. Where it was different, different nature than the others. They called him the Litvak. So he says, the Litvak had genome the smetana. The Litvak uh, took the the cream. La creme de la creme. That's what the Batichiva said. But there were a few students of the Magid who had a very hard time. And they felt that the Balatanya was corrupting, and I'm using that word, not lightly, but they felt that he was, let's say, comp- compromising, maybe a better word, compromising and damaging the world of Chassidus. The two main opponents were the Baruchel of Mezheburj, who was a grandson of the Baal Shemdev, and the Bavram of Kalisk. The Bavram Kalisk, who lived in Eitz Yisrael, who wrote very sharp letters against the shit of the Balatanya. What was the Machlaikas? What was the nature of the Machlaikas? What was the nature of the Machlaikas? It was a very, very deep Machlaikas. And this is one of the Maimarim where the Balatanya actually establishes to understand what his shit is and where it contrasts from the other shit is. I'll give you one example to be able to understand it, just in the words of Rabbi Avram Kalisk. He writes to the Balatanya, I saw the Sefer Atanya, I read it, and I didn't like it. Why not? It's Sefer HaSeichel. It's an intellectual book. And intellect will destroy Judaism. <coughs> it's a Sefer HaSeichel. Too much intellect. The Tanya is a very systematic book. It's a very analytical book. It's an encyclopedia. It's like it's called the Tereshav Aksav of Chassidus. It's the signs, what Chassidus came to teach in a very systematic way. Lakut the Torah are more maimorim set Shabbos and Yundus. It's a lot of sukkis. Tanya is very, very systematic, chapter to chapter, build up, build up what a soul is, what the soul looks like. A whole, it's a, it's a, it's a developed shit of what chesedus is. In fact, it's the only sefer of those generations that ex- all the other svarim were discussions on the parsha or the yamim Tov. Take kedushas levi, it's on the parsha or yamim Tov. Take neim alimelech on the parsha yamim Tov. All the smart, take Be'er Mayim Chayim, Reb Chayim Any Sefer you take, told us Yaakov Yosef, Priya Oretz, Moir Enayim, and then the later generations as well. You take Chidush Yorim, you take Tzvah you take Me'a Shiloyach, you take Pri That's already later generations. It's all on Parshas and Yom Tov. Is there a Sefer that discusses what's the shit of Chidus? What does Chidus have to teach in a systematic way? Not just a Taich in the Parsha, or a Taich in Pesach, or Shavu, or Sukkot. That was the Tanya. So Rabbi Avram Kalaski said, I don't like it, it's a Sefer HaSeichel. What's, prob- what's the problem? So this is what he says, now listen to what he says. The Pasuk in Emmer. Bas Koyen Kisecha Liznois Ba'esh The daughter of a Koyen, if she starts having adultery, she should be burnt in fire. So he says, a Koyen, it says in Zoyer, is Chachma. A Koyen is wisdom. Koyen is Seichel, intellect. It's a remis for intellect. Bas Koyen? You know what the daughter of Seichel, you know what the daughter of philosophy is, you know what the result of intellect is? Kiseichel is nice. Adultery. You start with the mind, and you end up in adultery. And you know what the solution is? Ba'esh tisarev. Fire. Passion. Emotion. Stop with the intellect. That's what he writes to the Balatanya. Stop with the intellect. 
this is a corruption of our Rebbe. You're not teaching our Rebbe's Torah, he says. Balatanya wrote back quite a sharp letter to him, very humble but very sharp. He says, how can you be so ungrateful for what I did for you? Rebbe Ram Kaliska was a fireball of inspiration, no question. He was a holy man. In the year Tovkov Lamet, 1770, he had a Chabura, he had Talmidim, a few dozen Talmidim. They would go daven in the forest. Now I want you to understand, you're going to laugh, but they, they would hang from trees. Like monkeys, they would jump. Why? They felt you have to get in touch with your primal emotion. And they felt that Judaism has to be uninhibited. And they didn't like the whole religious conformity of what shuls look like. They look like cemeteries or chicken markets or subway stations. They wanted uninhibited expressions. They would go to the forest, they would scream, they would dance, they would jump. They felt you can't be in any box. No boxes. Boxes are destructive. Now the Magad of Mizrich did not like it. In fact, Chassidim had an expression. In Yiddish they said, Takal is kein tolknisht. Takal is tofkof lamet. Tolk means a system. Takal is kein tolknisht. It's not a way of living. And the Magid banned Rebbe Avram Kalisker from his, his group. He said, this doesn't belong to our this, because the cheirim of the Mishnagim, the first cheirim, tofkof lamet based, that the Vilna Gaon signed, of course, the, what the Kalisker was doing was, that these are not normal people, these are crazy people. But the Magid felt it wasn't just for them. He felt that you can't, you, you have to break the system through the system. You don't reach infinity only through finiteness. You don't, you can't graduate that. You have to find infinity through finiteness. Especially the Balatanya felt this very strongly. You have to reach Nitzedah through Seder. So he, he banned him. Abraham Klaus, he says, you're not, you're not welcome anymore. It's not part of it. The Baltanya says, and who is the one who defended you? And who is the one who brought you back? And who is the one who told our Rebbe that there should be a place for you? It was me. You know that. And now, a few decades later, how kofwi toiva can you be and tell me, I'm not the student of my teacher. You're the student of the teacher. You know what happened in Tovko Flamet. That's what he wrote back to him of Ram Kalisker. Well, what was the nature of the debate? This was a debate between holy people. What was the nature of the debate? The nature of the debate has something to do with something very fundamental. Anybody who even has a basic reading of the Balshemtiv, even a basic reading of the Balshemtiv, the, the, there is a misconception that has become entrenched in the world of historians, and even among many Jews, and even among many religious Jews, and even among many Hasidim. If you'll go over to people who call themselves Hasidim, and I use that word. And you say, what did the Baal Shem Tev teach? What did the Baal Shem Tev teach? What did the Baal Shem Tev come to the world to teach? What is it exactly? Is it to wear strimal? Is it to wear white socks? Is it to wear a bekisha? What is it? That, what is the Baal Shem Tev's contribution to Judaism? Some will say, We don't know what it is. And some will say a lot of different things. Sadly, maybe 90% or less or a little more, often will not tell you what the Baal Shem Tev taught. But, if you'll read historians, they'll say this. They'll say, the Baal Shem Tev lived in a time where Jews were downtrodden. There were many simple Jews. The Vilna Gaon, the Lithuanian school of Lundus, everything was learning, 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 learning. And somebody needed to feed simple people, 
Somebody needed to give hugs. Somebody needed to show a little love to broken, poor Jews milking cows all day and spending their life with sheep and goats. Not everybody was a scholarly, intellectual giant sitting in Beismedish in a cloys in Vilna or Shklov or Pinsk or Minsk all day. So the Baal came and said, Bechol you could know God even when you're milking the cow. Rahman Alibi boy, he just wants a good to Yiddish art. Say Amin Yeshminaba with Kavana, and even if you Billy know Ivra, say to Hillim with all your heart, and you're still close to God, and God is close to every Jew. Now, like everything, there's a certain degree, there's a certain uh, there's a certain uh, component there's a certain kernel of truth there. But not more than a kernel. Not more than a kernel. Because it really comes from a misunderstanding of who the Balshemtiv was, and most importantly, that the closest students of the Balshemtiv were Goine Oilam, they were geniuses. Take a person like the Magad of Mizrich, take a person like the Taldus Yaakov Yosef, take a person like uh, Reb Michel's Lachever, take a person like. Huh? <coughs> what? Reb Wolf Kitzes, Reb Chaim Akoyen Rappaport, etc., the whole Hebraic edition of the Balshemtiv. Take a person like the Balatanya. In other words, the students of him or the students of the Magad. These were the Goinim of the generation, literally. The Balafla was considered Mamish one of the Goini Adar. So they came to the Baal Shem Tov, to the Magad to sit and say what? That when you're milking your cow, if you say, Ah! Tate in Himmel, health me! You're still a good Jew. You're a good fine. Even if you're not going to become the Gadol Adar, and Rabbin Shukob and even if you're not going to know every Toysvus in Yavamas, and every Maram Shif and Chulin, and you're not going to know Shulchan Aruch backwards and forwards... So fine, so I understand simple people came around the Moshev. So this was the image of the Balshemtiv as a folk man. What is it called? A folksman. A, a storyteller. He knew how to tell stories. He went to the market. He went like this to people. Good margin, good oven. You need an adove. He gave stocka. He was good for Schuster and Schneider. Shoemakers and tailors. The truth is it's a very profound distortion and misconception. Very profound distortion and misconception. Why is it? Because it fails to understand that this was not the Balsham, this was a symptom of something the Balshemtiv taught. The Balshemtiv developed and articulated a shit in Yiddishkeit. What is this? What is it? So to say it very briefly and very concisely, it's basically the Balshemtiv tried to reveal the Neshama of Judaism. What do I mean? It says in Zohar, in Parshas Nasai, that there are three things. Tlas, Kishrin, Miskashron, Dabeda. There are three knots. There's Yisrael, Araisa, Kuchibrich, the Jew, Torah, and Asha. In each one, the Zohar says there's Sosim and Galia. There's the hidden dimension and the revealed dimension. In Torah, there's the Sosim of Torah, the hidden Torah, and the revealed Torah. In the Jew, there's the sasim of Torah, the hidden dimension and the revealed dimension. In Hashem Kevayachal and Kuchabrichu, there's the sasim of Kuchabrichu and the Gali of Kuchabrichu. That's what the Zoya says. Generally, what has been articulated in Judaism throughout the generations was the Gali of Torah, the revealed aspect of Torah, the revealed aspect of the Jew, and the revealed aspect of Kuchabrichu. The Baal Shem Tev came to accentuate and explore and excavate and emphasize the sasim in each three of them. The internal dimension of Torah, the internal dimension of the Jew, the internal dimension of Kuchabrichu Kavayach. One classic example of this was, generally, if you look at Jewish literature from the beginning, throughout the generations, 
What is the relationship, the nature of the relationship between God and the Jew? And the nature of the relationship is, when you read Nigla, more or less, it's basically an employer hiring an employee. Of course, much more than that, but that's the basic idea. I hire you and I make a contract. If you live up to the contract, I reward you. If you don't live up to the contract, you be careful. I'll fire you, and before I fire you, I'll penalize you. Now, in this case, it's not a regular employer-employee, because it's a creator in creation, so you basically have no choice. <laughs> you can't resign because you got nowhere to go, unless you want to create your own world, which is fine. <coughs> and a father and son. Huh? Yes, and a father and a son also. Huh? No, no, of course. So you have the element also of a father and a son, and you have Odin and Evet. But Torah Mitzvah is, generally so to speak, a contract that the Rebbeinu Shalom gives the Jew and says here, you're obligated to this, there's a covenant here. I live up to the contract, you live up to the contract. That's a Nigladika relationship and a real relationship, an authentic relationship. A Sassim relationship, which the Baal Shem Tov spoke about a lot. And when we say Sassim, it doesn't mean it's new, it means it was always there. It was there in Nikla. Sasa means it's Nikla. You just have to, so to speak, accentuate it, reveal it. Speaks about the soul of a Jew being a chelikalikamima. Being completely one with Hashem. In fact, Torah Mitzvah is seen as a natural expression of the Jewish soul. In its natural, it's organic to the soul. Torah Mitzvah is basically the natural organic system through which the soul expresses what it really is and its relationship with God. So reward and punishment, for example, assumes a much less significant role in the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. Not that it's not, it doesn't exist. But reward and punishment becomes very, very important when the focus is on the contract, not on the relationship. Why should I do the contract? Because if not, I'm going to get punished. But if I understand that this is who I am, so the greatest reward I could give myself is to be true to who I am. And the greatest punishment is, as the Baal Shem Tov once said, schar mitzvah mitzvah means the greatest schar you can get for a mitzvah is the mitzvah. That's the greatest schar. More than all the schars you can get for the mitzvah. The Baal Shem Tov thus reveals and speaks about all three in terms of the soul. He wants to look for the sasim daira What's the soul of Torah? You have a computer, and the computer displays a beautiful program, but every programmer knows there's a back end. And the back end is code language. It's digital code. The layman looks at it and gets very, very confused. But that's where it's all happening. That's the inner vitality, the inner soul of what's displayed on the outside. So you have many mitzvahs, you have many halachas. But what's the sasim daira What's the soul behind it? What's the consciousness behind it? It never contradicts the nigla. This is the back end, and this is what's displayed on the outside. Here the nuances deal with technicalities, and here you're dealing with the inner consciousness, the inner spiritual motif behind the mitzvah. So you have sasim deiraisa, galya deiraisa. You have sasim the Yisrael. You have a Jew on the outsiders. I'm a regular person. I'm a person living in this world, and I need rules in order to behave. The sasim the Yisrael represents that every single Jew under all circumstances remains completely one with God to the point that nothing he or she can do can break that connection. In other words, the truth of the Jew is you're completely one with Hashem. That language became the language of the Baal Shem Tov.
again and again and again. The language was your most natural, deepest state is you're holy, you're sacred, you're wholesome, you're divine. Complete vacus. Absolute vacus. For the Balshamtiv, the same, he reveals the Sasim of Kuchabrichu. What's the Sasim of Kuchabrichu? Sasim of Kuchabrichu means you have God as a creator of the world. You have God as a judge of the world. That's an aspect that's guided the Kuchabrichu. And Sasim the Kuchabrichu is, when we speak often about Saif of Kalam, when we speak about Atmos, the point that the divine transcends even the fact of creator. Even more than this, or addition to this, Sasim the Kuchabrichu means the ability to be able to look at the world and see the world in a new way. See the world as a divine arena. Einoid Movada. In other words, he looks at the world and he sees the world as a reflection of the divine. There's no separation anymore. When the Baal Shem Tev taught this, he wasn't contradicting anything that said before. He was trying to reveal what said before. So you'll find this everywhere. You'll go back to the Gemara, you'll see this. You'll go back to Chumash, you'll see this. You'll go back to Medrash, you'll see this. But you have to be able to detect it, accentuate it, and turn it into a shit. As a result of revealing the Sasim of Kuchabrichu, the Sasim of Eraisa, the Sasim of Yisrael, a lot of things happened. One of these things happened was the unity of the Jewish people emerged in a new way. The hierarchy was somewhat compromised. Because of the nature of Jewish significance is basically the contract, those who fulfill the contract much more. In other words, they learn Torah 20 hours a day, not 10 minutes a day. They're experts in Torah. Obviously, they're on a much higher level. There's a very profound hierarchy. Once you reveal the Nekud of Chelek Mal. So now what happens is there's a wholesomeness and a kedusha in every single Jew, no matter what, no matter when. So automatically the Ish Pashat was elevated and sublimated. But not because he just knew how to give a glet. Yes, he knew how to give a glet and he knew how to give love. But that was a result of a Veltan Shaung, of a world encompassing, an all-encompassing Ashkafas Oilam. On halacha, on nigla. The Bashan used to give a daily Shia Gemara, Gemara Rashi, Toysvis, and Rishonim that was Be'iun. It was very, very deep. It was an all encompassing perspective to zoom in and give us a glimpse into the Sasan, the inner dimension of Torah, Kuchabrich, and the Jewish people, and as a result of that, the universe, history, and how you look even at a, at a physical world. Every Torah of the Balshemtiv will somehow express some of this in one way or another. Any Torah, down the line. No Torah will not have this energy. The energy will be the energy that basically speaks about complete oneness. Internally there's complete oneness. Oneness in yourself, oneness with God, oneness with the entire universe, oneness with the Jewish people. It's basically the Baal Shem Tev's inter- the Zoyar asks, it says in Bereshis, by Yigarish Esa Adam. He expelled Adam. The Zoyar says, who expelled who? Did Adam expel God or God expelled Adam? The Balshemtiv's interpretation was Adam expelled God. In other words, we're still in Ganeiden, we just have to see it. That was basically his perspective. Yeah. Give a classic example, a classic example just of a vart, you just, you'll see it immediately. He said, any vart of the Balshemtiv. The Balshemtiv says that, uh, that uh, Reb Nachman brings this. Reb Nachman had his own, Reb Nachman was also a grandson. Reb Nachman of Breslev was, uh, his mother was, um, was Fega who was a daughter of Adel, who was a daughter of the Baal Shemtiv. He was a great-grandson of the Baal Shemtiv. The Baruch Hu was a... Was, I'm not, not Adel, from uh, Fega was... Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so Reb was his uncle. So Reb was his mother's brother. Yeah, Reb Nachman of Breslov met the Balatay. He came to visit him. Uh, he came to the Ukraine. He came to visit him. So Reb Nachman of Breslov tells him. He says, "Von Petersburg, von Petersburg, from Petersburg, Mister Potter geworden. You got rid of them. But from Petersburg is nicht das Eigring Potterwellen. From Petersburg, the capital, you got rid of them. But from Petersburg." For my uncle Rebaruch, it's not so easy because Rebaruch was 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 a captain. He was he was an intense person. So uh, the Malshemtiv once said, "Lekutim Aran." Reb Nachman brings from his great grandfather. Just giving an example that uh, it's a very powerful vart. It says in Perkeyovus, "Lifnei Mia Taosid Litein Din VeChesbin." So the Malshemtiv says it should have said Cheshbin before Din. First you make a Cheshbin and then you make a Din. It says in Perkeyavis, Nefroyim in Adam midaita v'shaloy midaita. You exact payment from a person consciously and unconsciously. Moshamtiv says that they never judge a person ever. Stam. What happens is when a person comes up to heaven, so the Rebbeinu Shalaylam has Google print out from the Google Maps everything that the person said and did and thought throughout their life, and they show uh, this is the list. They don't judge the person. They show this Jew a list of somebody else's life. Different stories of somebody else. And they ask him to judge. And he judges that person based on his understanding. And then they say, everything that you just spoke about happened also to your life. And they bring up his own data. And they say, okay, so you judged yourself already. Hashem says, throughout your life, every day, you're given an opportunity to judge people. Be careful, because you're not judging anybody else. You're judging yourself. God gives you certain situations to judge, and you're really judging a situation in your own life that looks different, but it's the same. And one day, they're going to tell you, whatever you judge, that's, that's, what, that's what has to happen. And uh, he says something fascinating. When David does with Bathsheba what he does, Nosin Anovi comes to him and starts telling him, a ganz uh, parable, a ganz there was a rich man and a poor man. The poor man had a sheep and a guest came and the rich man stole the sheep to give it to the guest. What do you think should happen? So David says the guy should die. He's a low life. The guy has one sheep and he, he takes it away. Why can't he feed him from his own money? And Nosin Anavi looks at him and he says, Atahaish. You're that man. And David says two words, Chatosi Lasha. Why couldn't he just come over to David and said, a man, Uriah, comes from Chittim, he has one maidle as Bashevet, the only thing he has, you're a king, you have everything and you have to chop her away. That's it. No. The answer is, David had to give his own judgment. He had to tell David another story. David said, Mois Yumas, and he said, That's Pshat, Din V'Cheshben. First you make a Din on somebody else, and then they make a Cheshben on you. That's Pshat Nefroim and Adam, Midaita V'Shaloi Midaita. You decide where you're going. Completely midaita. But you just don't know it's you. You think it's somebody else. As they say in English, you point a finger at somebody, you're pointing simultaneously three fingers at yourself. Take note. See? <laughs> you point, and you're really pointing three fingers at yourself. That's a Torah from the Baal Okay, it's a nice Torah about not judging people. It's a good Gishmaka Hasidish Torah. But what is he really saying? What is he really saying? What the Baal was really saying, this I heard from the Rebbe, what the Baal was really saying was something else. He was saying something very profound. He was saying, nobody, nobody, not even Bezdin Shalmaila, 
not even a billion, trillion, zillion, sectillion angels of heaven could send you anywhere. Nobody could send you anywhere. There's only one person who could send you anywhere, and that is yourself. Nobody. Kibayachal, even Kutshabrichu doesn't say, this guy is a Pashe Yisro, okay? Go, go burn. No. You're the only one who could send yourself there. The only one. Why would the Baal to say this? Because once you reveal Sassim the Yisrael, you're not just an employee. You're not even just a child. You're not even just a good guy. Yisrael the Kutshabrichu Kulachad, the Jewish soul is rooted in the very essence of Hashem. And therefore, ultimately, he's infinite and he's absolutely free. And because he's absolutely free, only he himself can define his destiny. He must become the author of his own biography. Example. The Baal Shem Tev says, the Gemara says in Erevin, Hai al This world is like a wedding. Go grab the food, grab the drinks. What does it mean this world is like a wedding? What does it mean? So the Baal Shem Tev told us, Yaakov Yosef brings from the Baal Shem Tev. What does he bring? He says, look at a wedding. Usually people prepare for things and to do it. Some things need a lot of preparation, some things don't need a lot of preparation. A wedding needs a lot of preparation. People sometimes prepare for months. The time of the Gemara, they prepared a year for a wedding. Between Erisin and Esuyin, there were 12 months. Twelve months. You prepare for a wedding. Okay. So you're waiting now for the event. He says, but the uniqueness of a wedding is you prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare and most people miss it. What do we mean they miss it? Moshe says, you come to the wedding, this one comes for the food. This one comes from the Viennese table. This one comes from the bar. This one comes from the music. This one comes from the dancing. This one is looking at the gown. This one is looking at the, the, at the strimal. This one is looking at the band. He says, but there's one Nekudah for what it's all coming for. The whole wedding is for one Nekudah. That is under the chuppah. He places a ring on her finger and he says, Hare at Mekudeshes Li. He says, that's the moment. That's the moment. It's very easy to be at the wedding, but you missed the core of the wedding. This world is like a wedding. There's a lot going on, constantly. There's a Viennese table, there's a Schmuggers board, there's an argument, there's even a smoking section. There's a music section, there's a chazan, there's a band, there's a flowers, there's the caterer, there's crisis, but my, everything is going on. There's the mechutten, there's the money, there's the caterer, there's the balance checks. A lot going on at a wedding. There's the sister-in-laws who don't talk. To, a lot goes on, the shvigar. But what's the Nakuda of the wedding? This world is like a wedding. We live and live 80, 90, 100 years, and sometimes you just miss the whole point. And the point is one moment. Complete oneness with Hashem. And that's Pshat Nemishname. If you don't get the Li, if you don't realize the Makodesh Li, that's how he touches the Mishnah. The Taldus Yaakov Yosef says that he heard from the Baal Shem Tev. Keil nekomis Hashem, keil nekomis Saifia. That's yesterday's Shir Shal Yoyim. You remember that Pasuk? What does that Pasuk do for you? God is a God of revenge. The God of revenge appeared. That's Tehillim, Tzadik, Hey, right? And what's the end of that Mizmar? L'chin iranen al Hashem nariya l'tzor yishenu. Nekad mefonav b'soy the b'zmiz. We start Friday night. So let's now understand this psychologically. Oh, God is a God of revenge. God appeared as a God of revenge. Now, let's go dance. Imagine you tell your son, Tati takes revenge. 
and the, the tati of revenge is going to appear. Now go dance. So the Baal Shem Tov said, said, Kel Nekomis Hashem, Kel Nekomis Afiyah. Why redundant? Why twice? Kel Nekomis Afiyah, Kel Nekomis Hashem Afiyah. And he says, why the words Kel and Hashem, which are both names of Rachamim and Chesed, should be Elikim, Midas Hadin, Nekomah. Zog the Baal Shem Tov, Kel Nekomis Hashem. God is a God of revenge. So you're going to ask a question. Why are you calling him Kale and Avaya if he's a god of revenge? So I'm going to explain to you. Kale Nekamis, you know how God takes revenge? He appears. The Baal Shem Tov says, imagine you're in the dumps. And somebody comes and schleps you out of the dumps and gives you unconditional love and literally transforms your entire life. And does everything for you to take you out of the abyss and to bring you up to the highest heavens. But you don't know this. Because they don't tell you. You don't know this. And basically, as you grow, and you see somebody you can take advantage of, so you take advantage of them. You take advantage, you manipulate them, you abuse them, you backstab them and everything. For years and years and years. And they were very hurt. So the Baal Shem Tev says, what's the greatest nekama they can take is? Haifiyah. Haifiyah means one day you discover what this person did for you. And when you discover what this person did for you, the depth of shame and pain of how you hurt this person is almost intolerable. It's like somebody who sacrificed their whole life for you and you spit them in the face day by day and one day you ask yourself, how can I have done this? He says, there's no greater pain than the pain of their appearing in your life. He says, what's Kel Nekamas Hashem? Kel Nekamas Haifiyah. His Nekamah is that he appears, he's Nizgala. Suddenly you see what Hashem is. You see what Hashem is. And it's like, I was your enemy. I hated you. <laughs> I backstabbed you. I abused you. I loathed you. I just, I hated your guts. You never knew who I was. I understand. You never knew who I was. Haifiyah. So he says, his Nekamah is always, only through Kale. It's through Hashem. Through, through appearing in your life. I told you a word once in the Hashanah. Yeah, the Gemara says in Brachas, Ula said, Ula in the name of the Rebbeichen, when the Basmidj was destroyed, Hashem only has Dalit Amashallah, four cubits of Allah. But Hashem says, the symptom of Khurban Basamikdash is, what's the symptom of Khurban Basamikdash? That you think HaKadosh Baruch only has Dalit Amashallah. He exists only in the world of Dalit Amashallah, not in the world. What's the common denominator of all these titles? I mean, we could do another two, three, four hundred titles. Hashem has thousands of titles. But what's, you get an energy in all this title. What's the energy here? The energy here is, there's an energy of, uh, of oneness, a focus on the relationship, a focus on the infinite depth of a person, on the infinite relationship between Hashem and a person, on the infinite love between Hashem and a person. On the fact that Torah is really the most healthy expression of that relationship. It's never about repressing you into a particular box. It's about actualizing your infinite oneness with God that always exists. And it's about looking at the world and having the ability to say, This is a shitta. This is not a little vertel. This is a shitta. It's a profound, profound shitta. It's a whole ashkafa. How do you study the world? It changes a perspective of science, of physics, of biology, of astronomy, astronomy of, of cosmology. 
because it's basically looking for the divine underlying unity, the string theory of Judaism, if you wish, the quantum mechanics of Judaism. Sassim, right, I said, Sassim the Kutchabrikha, Sassim the Yisrach. This is what the Balshamtiv taught. And he taught it constantly. And he taught it day in and day out to his people, to his, uh, to his Talmud. This is what he represented. People think the Balshamtiv was about miracles. That's a very small part of who the Balshamtiv was. The truth about the, the greatest miracle of the Balshamtiv was the Balshamtiv. That is the greatest miracle of the Balshamtiv. More than all other miracles is the Balshamtiv was the greatest miracle of the Balshamtiv. It trumps all other miracles. That's the truth. So in one word, basically he tried to reveal the nuclear energy inherent in the Jewish soul and inherent in Judaism. Once nuclear energy gets revealed, it's intense, it's powerful. Right? The Vilna Gaon comes and says, nuclear energy is dangerous. You don't reveal nuclear energy. Nuclear energy remains where it remains. It could be very, very destructive. It's too much. It's too intense. The Vilna Gaon knew about Teresh Most of his life, he studied more Kabbalah than he studied Nigar Chaim But to turn this into a movement and to turn this into something that belongs to the masses, the Baal Shem felt that Judaism will not be able to survive and thrive in the new milieu if its full depth and sophistication is not excavated. So this was a very serious argument, a very serious argument. How did it capture the Jewish world? It didn't capture the Jewish world because he was charismatic. They say Moshev had a lot of charisma. He may have had a lot of charisma. <laughs> it wasn't Moshev's charisma. He smoked a pipe and he had charisma and people liked the smoke and his smile and his smile captured the world. The Moshev was a genius of a man. The Moshev was a giant. Moshev was an Isha Laki. The Moshev revealed to the Jewish people something that was always there but it had to be accentuated. So therefore, when the Neshama exploded, the Chelek HaLekami Mal exploded, there was a, a, a revival. And it's really half of a fellow from a historical point of view that that hundred years, from Tov Kuf till Tov Kuf till Tov Reish, basically from, uh, from 1740 till 1840, those 150 or 200 years of those generations, that the world of the Balshamtiv students, what they produced, a number of... of of such giants of spirit and giants of the mind and giants of the heart is an incredible phenomenon. Like out of absolute poverty, absolute miserable conditions, financially, uh, socially, emotionally, anti-Semitism, persecution. Okay, the Holocaust eclipsed everything, but what they suffered in the shtetlach under the czar, the anti-Semitism in Russia was, was, was horrific. And from, 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 from literally from dumps, from gutters, such richness of spirit, <laughs> such richness. We were a few months ago in Mezhebush and the Baal shul. It's, it's, it's a dumps all over the place. It's a dump. Right? But, like, but he believed that Adam, that Adam was not expelled from paradise. God was expelled from paradise. Adam is still in paradise. He just expelled God. So he thinks he's in hell, but really he's in paradise. If he could just bring in God, he'll see he's in paradise. He really believed that. So wherever he was, they, he created that. that. That was his message. Relationships happen right now. The Baal Shem Tov says, 
He asks, a, just the question tells you who he was. He has a question. He says, if the purpose of life is dveikus with Hashem, how do you have dveikus when you're in the bathroom? You know, too many people bothered by this question. How do you have dveikus in the bathroom? You can't learn, you can't do mitzvahs. What's the dveikus in the bathroom? So the Baal Shem Tov says, oh, it's the greatest dveikus. You know what? I'm the greatest. It's a moment of special dveikus. Why? Because what do you do in the bathroom? Because in the bathroom, you're basically doing the avoid of boyer. The body is basically separating the psoilus from the oichel, quite literally. When it says in halacha, boyer is oichel metoich psoilus, here it's psoilus metoich oichel, that's the real boyer. You separate the, 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 the refuse, thank you. Okay, that's a good question. That's a good question. It's not so partial. It's not so partial. It's a machzedek. Ask the Balatanya. He says, I asked my Zayda, how do we eat on Shabbos? L'choyde eating is avoided sabirurim, and you're not allowed to do burir on Shabbos. Very good question. So the Balatanya said, you have to understand what eating on Shabbos means. It's a different type of eating. But that's a good shaila. So the Baal Shem Tov says, that's what the bathroom says. Where do you have a greater dveikas? All of dveikas with Hashem means that you're always doing avoided sabirurim. What's avoid? What does it mean to have dveikas in Hashem? Basically, to be able to look and say, these thoughts are welcome. These thoughts are not defining me. All of life, all of Dveikas is Davoid of Boyer. To be able to say, I'm one with God. I, all this is going on. Boyer, Boyer, this goes to the side. So he says, the bathroom is the epitome of that. Another example of it. This is, very briefly, one of the great ideas that the Baal Shem Tev tried to reveal. What's now the argument? <laughs> What's now the argument? In the second gen and third generation, an argument develops. What is the legacy of this tradition? What should be its legacy? How should it be bequeathed? How should it be taught? How should it be internalized? That becomes a fascinating question. And all the students of the Magid give their own answers based on their own experience, their own capacity. And the Balatanya gives his own answer. And hundreds of years, a few hundred years later, you know, two lines, when they begin, <laughs> they begin very close to each other. And then they just curve away a little bit, a little bit. They drift away, right? But when you continue that drift, down the line, you see some very significant differences. So very often, two things seem very, very close to each other. But with hindsight of time, you could see some dramatic developments. And this is one of those examples, as we shall explore by Ezer Hashem. So now, now there became a big question. The question was this. The Baal Shem Tev, as we saw, taught that every single Jew has a soul, which is a chelik elekami mal, which is part of the divine, and that is his true or her true core and true essence. And if that nish- when that neshama emerges, the Jew naturally believes, has a munna, the Jew naturally is inspired, the Jew, Jew naturally is happy, 
And the Jew naturally is connected to Hashem as it is in a wholesome, optimistic space of elevation and confidence. Because he taught emuna is not something that has to be acquired, but rather this state of emuna that we're addressing is the experience that every soul has. It's already in a relationship with Hashem. It experiences Hashem's presence. So once this dimension of the Jew can emerge, there is already a very powerful, warm, inspiring, fiery relationship. And in many ways, you could say that that's what the Balshamtiv was doing. He held a torch, and he was trying with this torch to ignite the soul, to ignite everybody's soul, to ignite the soul of Klal Yisrael. It's even brought in Sifrei Chassidus that during the Balsha, when the Balshamtiv was born, the Jewish people were in a comatose state, a spiritual comatose state. Golos has gotten to them. It's been a long time. Shapsi Tzvi, who converted to Islam in 1666, was supposed to be a Mashiach. He managed to dissuade, persuade, persuade, and entice much of Europe. He converted to Islam, yeah. Yeah, yeah Turkey. He made it. They said convert or die. Well, they gave him a choice. What would you do? Either to convert to Islam or to die. So the catastrophe, Jews really believed in him. Even great rabbis were all consumed by his spell. And he had a good PR man, Nathan of Gaza, Nassim Azasi. And they were consumed by his spell. And when he converted, the emotional and spiritual breakdown was very powerful to the extent that a hundred years later, Jews did not heal from it. A hundred years later, they were still checking rabbis and checking people. They were suspecting everybody, which is one of the reasons that the Vilna Gaon became so suspicious of the Hasidic movement. And they made all types of xeris on learning of Kabbalah because she was considered a Kabbalist and all that. This was spiritually speaking, but physically speaking, in 1648 and 49, there were the pogroms of Bogdan Chmolenetsky, the Cossacks, in which between 150 and 300,000 Jews were beheaded in Poland. Poland was destroyed. So once the Holocaust happened, it eclipsed everything that happened before that. The First World War became almost, oh, nobody even studies about the Very few people know about the First World War. 1648-49, what's 300,000 Jews relative to 6 million? But you have to understand, for Jews living then, this was the worst Chorban since Chorban Beis HaMikdash, what happened. First of all, the pain, the anguish, the loss of life, and the methodology that the Cossacks used. I'm not going to get in here, I'm going to get the graphic detail. It was horrific. The Balshemtev was born only a few decades after all of this. So he came into a climate... Chmelinitsky was Tachtach, 1648, 1649. Mono was born 1698. But the trauma was very present. Besides the Shapsi debacle, besides the fact that Jews were miserably poor and poverty stricken, so it's brought in Sifri Chsidis that when somebody's in a comatose state, one of the Zgulas to do is to whisper their name into their ear because the name, as we learned in Gemara Rish Hashanah, is a channel of energy. Right, that's why for a sick person you sometimes change the name. By whispering the name into the person's ear, it's often a, a method of revival. 
So the Jewish people were in a comatose state. The Rebbeinu Shalolam whispered our name into our ear. What did that whisper look like? It looked like the birth of the Baal Shem Tev who was named Yisrael. This was the Rebbeinu Shalolam's whisper of our name into our ear by giving the Jewish world this soul named Yisrael who gave them back their name, so to speak, their identity. He revived the soul from within. The Baal Shem Tev taught maybe Mashiach is not here yet, but you could find your own spark of redemption in your own consciousness, in your own soul, in your own life. In that, as it's also brought in Sifrich, says Hashem took a little bit of the light of Mashiach and he already put it into the world before Mashiach in Galus. This was the Psura. And with that, the Baal Shem Tev stopped crying Eicha and he started singing Shihashirim. Jews were very used to Eicha. Eicha Yashva Vada. This, this was so common, this was entrenched in the vocabulary of Golos. And he began singing Shihashirim, celebrating the soul, celebrating the relationship, celebrating <laughs> celebrating the Dveikas. Yeah. So it wasn't just he was nice, he was fuzzy, he was warm. Yeah, he was very warm. But there was this shitta of revealing the true depth of life, the true depth of the cosmos, the true depth of the human experience, the true depth of Torah, the true depth of the Jewish soul, true depth of God, that already Puna gave people new glasses, new lenses, a new perspective. So it brought in a whole new simcha into Yiddishkeit, a new sophistication into Yiddishkeit. A new depth into Torah, a new depth into Avodas Hashem, a new depth into understanding the role of every Jew, and really, very good. They cooperate. The best, the best situation. If, if only we can topsy turvy sometime. We should dance, and they should listen. It would be good. The time for that will come too. So the, with this, everything became, everything was seen in a new light. The great question was, how does this happen? How do you give people this gift? How do you give this gift? The Baal Shem Tev gave this gift through two methods. Himself, his presence, and his teachings. And the Baal Shem Tev succeeded in raising students who gave people this gift through their teachings, but most importantly through their presence. And this is where the tzaddik, the Rebbe, came into the world of Hasidus. That there is a Jew who literally lives with his soul 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, with his godly soul. And therefore, when people are in his presence, when people daven with him, when people talk to him, when people learn with him, when people uh, fabrain with him, when people dance with him and sing with him, that energy, that kedusha, that holiness is transferred into their lives, their spirits. They go home and they can bring that home as well into their farms and into their fields and into their uh, trades or whatever they were involved in. Even if it was difficult and challenging, but they had that inspiration. As they used to say, the Pasuk says in Chavakai, Tzadik be'emunosa yichia al tikri yichia ela yichaya. It's a tzadik through his emunah. Yechaye, he brings chiyus, he brings life, he brings energy, he brings simcha, he brings dveikas to others. Because it's very hard in this world to even know that you have a soul. It's very difficult in this world to feel your soul. It's very difficult in this world to access this part of you. Naturally, we're humans of flesh and blood. 
We fill our animal soul, not our godly soul. But when you have the tzaddik, and the tzaddik is really connected in a very deep way, not because he's superior, but because for him the neshama light, the neshama lights up his life, the, the torch is burning in his soul. So as we learned before, when the torch comes close to the little flame, the little flame becomes subsumed in the torch. So when the chassid experienced himself in the presence of his Rebbe, his little torch came to fire. The big torch ignited the little torch and it came to life. And he was there with the chabura of his friends and they would dance and they would daven, they would learn together, they would be inspired together. This is what the vision of many of the early Hasidic courts looked like. Each one had his own path, and his own derech, and his own mahalach, this one had this path, and that path, but this was the common denominator of how to inspire the people. What about the teachings? The teachings took on a smaller significant role relative to the presence, and the energy, and the kedusha that they inspired. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov himself didn't write a word. There's no book from the Baal Shem Tov. All we have are teachings transcribed by students and their short teachings. So they're compiled in Svarim. There's a Sefer Keser Shem Tov. There's a Sefer called Savas Harivosh. Two Svarim. And then you have other Svarim of his Talmidim where he's quoted. The Taldas Yaakov Yosef quotes him a lot. Shamati His grandson, the Degel Machne Ephraim. His great grandson, the Kutim Aran. Or other of the early Hamer, Wolf of Jetamer, Meir the early Hasidic works, who all quote the Balshanu. Either they heard it directly from him, or they heard it from his students, etc. And it's valuable resources because we have nothing written for the Balshanu. The Magad also, we have nothing written, but we have the Svarim Magad Varav Liyakov, Eretayra Lekutei Amarim, and other Svarim again of Talmidim who were there or heard it from Talmidim, or they who transcribed the teachings. And all of the great Hasidic masters throughout the generations, how many books do they each have? One, maybe two. And when you open it, you'll see little vertlach, four lines, ten lines, twenty lines, whether it's the Kedushas Levi of the Badichever, the Noyim Ali Melech, I'm talking the first generation of the Melech of Lezhensk, you look at the Torah of Reb Simcha Binim of Pshischa, of the Kotzker, Siach Sarfik Kodesh, that's already later generations. You look at the Torah of Reb Nochem Chernobyler, the Priyaharetz, the I mean, the Moire Nayim, the priority of Mendel Haradaka. Okay, sometimes you have a page, sometimes you have two pages, sometimes you have a paragraph. Even Svarim that are longer, like Be'er Mayim Chaim of Reb, of, uh, of Reb Chaim Chernovitz, the Sidur Shal Shabbos. Yeah. Later generations, you'll have the Chidush Harim, Tzvasemes, paragraphs, paragraphs, paragraphs. And you could see, this is what the Tish or the, 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 the table on Shabbos looked like. What was the power? The power was the Tzaddik himself. His charisma, his kedusha, his holiness, his energy, his avas habayri, his avas yisrael, it shone through and people were uplifted because it triggered within them their own nefeshalikis. And when they came home, it was a transform, it was a transform, it was a very transformative experience. And that's why there was such a focus on chabura, on gedolah legimr shemekareves, on the union, on the love. On the camaraderie, generally, when you don't take yourself so seriously, you can take other people seriously. And generally, when the neshama comes out, it's, it's not the, it's not an ego game anymore. It's not about you know I'm going to be the greatest person. It's about you sense the lakus in life, the godliness in life. You see, sense the dveikus in yourself and in other Jews and other people. So there's a certain lightness, a certain simcha 
ego generally obstructs joy because you very become very uptight, extremely uptight. You take yourself very serious. You become egocentric, and you have this attitude of holier than thou. But early Hasidus almost abolished that completely. And it was successful to a significant degree by many, many people. You can have sometimes great people and small people, they were pushing together. There was a certain bittel, a certain camaraderie that was, that was very unique. The Balatanya was a yachid bedoire in the sense that he has approximately 45 svarim. Instead of one, 45. And when you look at any of his maimarim, you'll see these maimarim didn't take three minutes to say. It wasn't a vart at a tish. The psukim, in fact, he's not even focused on explaining psukim. The psukim in the other vart, it's a vart in the parsha, a vart on Pesach, a vart on Sukkot, a, a nice touch in the Pasuk. For him, the Pasuk is only a passport, as his son once said. The middle once said, it's a passport. Passport is not the journey. Passport is just to get into the... Get through the gate. Passport is just to get onto the airplane. The, pa- the pasuk for him is only the passport. What is he talking about? One Maimer, he'll expl- he explores sugyas. It's almost like a, it's almost like a pil- it's almost like a sugyan shas. It's a sugyan in Torah Sanist and There's the sugya of the two souls. There's a sugya of Toyo and Tikkun. There's sugya of Akudim and Akudim and Brudim. There's a sugya of Sevav and Amale. There's the sugya of Sphiris. There's a sugya. We're not there, Adam Kadman of Tzimtzum, of Lifniat Tzimtzum, of Iris, of Kalim, of, of Neshamas, of Heicholas, of Keser, of Arich, of Zav, of Malchus, Sugis. Complete Sugis. Sugis in Avaidah Sashem, what is Boininus, is Avas Hashem, Yiris Hashem. Everything is a Sugis with explanations. This is a Shita that he developed. And the shit that came to be known, he called it Chabad, which is Chachma Bina Das, because he felt everything has to be explained, elaborated on, Mishalim brought for it, people should be able to process it and think about it, and internalize it in their mind, as he says here, in their human minds, in their Chachma, in their Bina Das, with all three faculties of the human brain, the human mind, as he discusses at length what those three faculties are in Tanya and here and in many other places. The shit, his shitta, he developed after the Magad passed away in those years, approximately in the year Tovkov Lamed Vav, Tovkov Lamed Zion, which is 1776, 1777, 1775. He built in his city, Liyajna, three chadarim, three yeshivas. Cheder Rishon, The requirements to go into his yeshiva, it was for Yungalite, serious, serious Yungalite, to go into Cheder which means the highest level, you had to be, and you were tested. You had to be a Bucky, Balpet, in Bavli and Yerushalmi. You had to know Bavli to go into Chedirish on the highest level. In addition to that, you had to know Zoyar, fluent in Zoyar, and in all Kisvei Hari, all the writings of the Arizal, plus the writings of the great Jewish philosophers. The Rambam, the Mary Nevuchim, the Kuzari of Yehuda Alevi, the Ikrim of Rabbi Yosef Albu, the Munaz of the great works of Jewish philosophy. Whoever, usually, usually not sixteen, usually not sixteen. No, you were dealing with literally goy neoyla. Some of them were talmidei hagro who came. How many in number were there? They fit that description. Was it worth? Very, not many. It was, few, it was not many. But he had cheder and he had cheder shlishi. With the standards were relaxed. Why was this so important? It wasn't stam. 
because it's easier to talk with people that know, because his shit necessitated that. Because he wanted to create synthesis between Nigla, Halacha, Kabbalah, and Chakira. Nobody synthesized the Mary Nebuchim and the Arizal. They were considered two diametrically opposed streams in Judaism. Philosophy and mysticism did not have Shalom bias in Judaism. The philosophers didn't relate to the mystics, and the mystics felt the philosophers are completely derailing Klal Yisrael. And this created a lot of controversy. The Rambam's times, and in the Rajbah's times, and there were Chromim, and there were bands, and there were some ter- terrible things, some burnings, etc. But this was, he felt that to really appreciate Shittas HaBal it has to be after a full understanding of all the streams that existed in Yahadus Hashkafa. Cheder Sheni and Shlishi, the standards were also quite heavy. But these were people that he seriously taught. He started to say Maimorim to, he would teach them. And they grew, as the, as, the years, as the years progressed, they grew. So right away when you see his Svarim, any Sefer, there's around 45 Svarim. The whole style of his Maimorim doesn't exist by any of his colleagues, any of his friends. What, what was the issue there? What was the issue? So there is a story that really captures, I think, the story captures this message. And that is, he had a colleague, a student of the Magid, who was also a very big tzaddik, whose name was Reb Chaim Chaikel of a city called Amdur, A-M-D-U-R, Amdur, Aleph Mem Dalet Vav Reish. It's also a city in the Ukraine, Amdur. It was a big tzaddik, he also became a Rebbe, like... Uh, like he had many of his other colleagues. Reb Chaim Chaikal of Amdur, they called him Reb Chaikal Amdurer. Amdurer was the city, Amdur, like they used to call Amdurer, Bardichever. City of Bardichever is Bardichever. It's called Amdurer. The, the Balatanya had a chassid who was a neighbor and a friend of a chassid of Reb Chaim Chaikal of Amdur. And once this chassid came to the Balatanya, he went in what was called Yechidus on a private audience. And he started to complain about something. He said he davens together in shul with his friend, the Chaikul's Chassid. And he sees that the styles are completely different. He says his friend runs into shul and he's already on fire. He's a flam fire, he's on fire. He starts davening right away. There's a fire, there's burning, there's passion. And he davens as a loud with, with such dvekas. He's on fire to God every day. Because <coughs> he's Reb Chaikul's Chassid. I, uh, I'm yours. He says, I don't have it. I don't have it. I come and I have no fire. I, all I feel is I have an animal soul, a very big animal soul. So you told us that we have to do his burden us. So I start thinking. In the meantime, the minion starts. I miss the minion already. Because I'm trying to, to get inspired. Until Epis of Fire lights up. It takes such a long time. This was his time. Lama Nigara. And it was really not just this was like almost a very deep accusation, like maybe you're, uh, you know, maybe you're teaching us something that is not what should be taught to us. Maybe something else should be taught to us. So the Balatanya went into a dvekas. He went in, so to speak, to a trance for a few minutes. He would speak with a niggin, even in the middle of the day. He would always, he had a melody, he would answer with a niggin. Same melody all the time? It was a consistent melody, a niggin, yeah. So when he came out of this dvekas a few minutes, a few minutes after, a few minutes later, he had his hand on his forehead for a few minutes, and he, so to speak, came out of it. 
So this chassid was telling the Balatanya how his friend, Reb Chaikel's chassid, erblent. He's burning, he's on fire. So the story, the way it was told over, the way it's communicated is, that the way this chassid said it over is, the Balatanya said, erblent. Chaikel brent in em. Un mirvillin as mezolalein brenen. He's burning. Chaikel, he called him Chaikel, he was a friend. Chaikel is burning in him. And we want that you should burn on your own. That was the end of the conversation. Essentially, this mimer is an explanation for this story. The Balatanya felt, and he argued with many of his colleagues, that they're making a mistake. But I shouldn't use the word they're making a mistake. It's, it's, it's really not so, it's really much more subtle, much more sophisticated. Not they're making a mistake. He said that they're capturing only part of the picture, not the full story. Why? Because the Balatanya felt which part of the Chassid is being triggered in the presence of the Balshamtiv or in the presence of the Big Tzaddik. Which part is being triggered? That's called Isarusa de Le'ela. So this Delayla happens in different situations. It happens in an Eisratzen, especially when you're in a presence of Kedusha. That's the Yisarusa Delayla. So what happens? Your Chelek Elikam Mimal is on fire because the big torch, the big bonfire, ignites the little torch. And the little torch comes to life. And everything is clear. There's no doubts. There's no questions. There's no dilemmas. You feel deeply emotionally satisfied and deeply emotionally connected. The Torahs that they said, it was just, if you see any Torah in Kedushas Levi, Noim Elimelech, these are, uh, they're, they threw bombshells, basically. They were grenades, spiritual grenades. You'll see all the Torahs have a common denominator. They speak about the beauty of a soul, the greatness of a Jew, the infinite love of Hashem to every Jew. Yeah. The power of a mitzvah, the, 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 the sacredness of Torah. The sacredness of the world, if you could see what the truth of the world is. They're beautiful, beautiful Torah. They're fireballs. They literally, literally, uh, uh, in yeshiva, the guys would do smoke bombs, you know, to make some excitement. So they, 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 they ignited the fire in the soul. The soul doesn't need much. That's what the soul doesn't need much. The soul is already a burning fire, but it's a fire that's in hibernation somewhere. It's hidden. The big torch comes and all the fires emerge and they all connect into the one big fire of the tzaddik, who, the real tzaddik, is completely uh, subservient to the Ratzon Hashem, and his fire is where his nefesh alakis is burning. And you had a lot of tzaddikim like that. You had a lot of tzaddikim like that. The Alter Rebbe had a colleague of Shloyme Kaliner. Shloyme Kaliner was a big tzaddik. He was killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem. He was a student of Rebbe Aaron Karlina, whom we spoke about, the story with... Uh, who was older than the Alter Rebbe. And Rebbe Shleib Aaron Kalina was, uh, it's called Rebbe Aaron Hagadol. Rebbe Aaron Hagadol. Nish the base island, the original Rebbe Aaron Kalina. So uh, Rebbe Shleib Kalina was a, uh, a, a colleague of the Balatanya. He was a Talmud of Rebbe Aaron. He took over Rebbe Aaron. But he also had, he had different, he had, there was differences of opinion about this. So the Alter Rebbe had a chassid, his name was Binyamin Kletzker. He was a great mind. 
So he was once by Rabshleimah Kaliner. And Rabshleimah Kaliner asked him if he wants to become his, uh, his follower, his protege. And he promised him big things. So Rabshleimah Kaliner told him, Arebe bistu abenisht meiner. A chassid benich abenisht deiner. A big Rebbe you are, but you're not mine. A chassid I am, but I'm not yours. There was a subtle or not so subtle distinction here. What was it? The Balatanya felt very strongly and emphatically that there is a challenge in this derech. The challenge is their divine soul is on fire. Their animal soul has not been dealt with. Their animal soul has not been dealt with. Now who wants to deal with an animal soul? If you could deal with a godly soul, what do you need to deal with an animal soul? What do you have to deal with your natural human stuff? Go to your nefesh alikis. You're already davuk. And the Alter Rebbe felt even in the greatest moments of Isarusa Delayla, where God Himself reveals Himself to you, and you're on fire to a point of kloisa nefesh, it's really not you. It's not your animal soul. It's the fire that's in you. But it's not you, you, the you, the humanness of the you has not been transformed, has not been affected. So he said, this chassid, chaykel brent in them, because of his connection to Reb Chaykel, which was genuine, the fire of the tzaddik was burning in him. So it's like when you hold a match to the wick, and the wick is on fire. But the moment you take away the wick, the wick is not on fire anymore. Rashi says, you should burn on your own even without a match. The challenge is, how do you burn on your own? So if you want to make a bonfire, and you know how they do it in camp, you pour kerosene, the fire is going to be huge. You put in some newspapers, the fire will be huge. You put in nine tissue boxes, the fire will be huge. You put in twigs, the fire will be huge. The problem is, after ten minutes, you're stuck in fire. So you could pour kerosene all night, great. What if you want, it should burn on its own, you have to get the log on fire. But to get the log on fire, the log is wet. <laughs> the log is thick. The log is resistant. The log is brute. The log lost. So now you have to work with the log. Who likes working with logs? You have to dry it and splinter it and deal with it and organize it and work once and twice and three times and maybe after 20 times, the fire hops on the log. But once the log is on fire, the log is on fire. It's a different fire. Now the fire is generating from within the bonfire, the mechanism of the bonfire itself. You don't need an external higher source of kerosene or gas in order to ignite the flames. But that, you have to penetrate the log, and it's not easy to penetrate the log. He's not so conducive to the fire, especially if he's a tough log, meaning he's not so dry. He has his own yichis. It's not so simple. So the Balatanya tells this Jew, Mir villain is all brennen, brennen. You have to burn on your own. I don't want to burn in you. I want you should burn. In many ways, a certain detachment here. But a detachment that comes from the belief that ultimately you could be empowered. You could build your own relationship. You have to find the light of God within your own identity and make sure that it permeates your animal soul. For this... He felt there's only one way. You have to have daily conversations with your animal soul. Now the animal soul is not a mystic. And the animal soul is not in a trance. The animal soul is life. It's life. Pass the orange juice. Pass the orange juice. 
the animal soul is sophisticated, maybe very, very intelligent and brilliant. Some human animal souls are brilliant, can create large gymnasiums, tremendous architectural feats, delve deeply into science or physics, become masters of math or other forms of discipline, develop beautiful music, and achieve so many other goals, whether in commerce or art or or wisdom, etc., but essentially, it belongs to the world of the zoological species because it's focused on self-preservation, self-enhancement, self-gratification, self-survival, propagation of its species, and doing what it does as animals do to enhance its environment for the sake of itself and its family and its young, etc. It's not bad, it's just an animal. It's an Ephesha Bahamas. It's not aware of the transcendent, the divine. You can't expect that. As he once said, a behemoth came on the shgizenda himmel. A behemoth never saw heaven. <laughs> we don't think of that. The behemoth never saw heaven. Literally, never saw heaven. Experientially, existentially, some people never saw heaven. They don't see it. Physically, we may look up and see the Milky Way, but the behemoth came on the shgizenda himmel and never sees. Su marumenechmurumi barel. And that's why he felt that the whole Torah Achsidus has to be constantly explained. Because the Nefesh Bahamis understands the language of Seichel Anushi. Seichel Anushi means, explain to me, explain to me what godliness is. Explain to me what the world is. Explain to me what a soul is. Explain to me purpose. Explain to me the dynamics of existence. Explain to me the complexities of the human soul. Explain to me what's happening inside of me. Explain to me everything what Yiddishkeit is. Explain to me what God wants with creation. Explain to me the tension of life. Explain to me the opportunities of life. Explain to me the whole process of how creation developed, of how the distance is, how we could come back, what's the purpose of the distance, how unity can be achieved. But everything in Oisius of Chachma, in words, of, in, in expressions, in, 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 in forms of Chachma Bina Das, which means I can understand it. Because if I can understand it, that becomes the language of my human consciousness. It becomes the language of my human consciousness, my human consciousness can emote, can get excited, can get inspired. What happens then is, I could be on fire within myself. By definition, whenever you do this, this is where we come back to the Bavram Kalisker, who says, you're compromising the fire. When you speak to a soul, you can speak a different language. We know each other already. When you speak to the animal soul, you have to completely enclose your message in language and verbiage that's relatable to him. Does it not compromise the passion? Does it not compromise the intensity? Does it not compromise the dveikus? Does it not compromise the ecstasy that the Hasidim HaRishonim all experienced and felt? And the Alter Rebbe said, it's not going to compromise the ecstasy, it's going to sustain the ecstasy. If you want it to be sustainable in your life, you need to internalize it. And if you don't understand the full language and the full picture of humanity and of all of the worlds, it'll never be able to become internalized. It's going to remain what he would call makif. Makif means it's like an energy that's overwhelming and powerful because it speaks to the makif in you, but not to the pnimi in you, meaning you didn't really take it into your vessels, to your containers, to your human vocabulary. And for this he spent hours and hours teaching and explaining, as you could see in the many of the Maimarim, the, way, the whole way he wrote Tanya, the whole thing is based on this, based on this shit, Chachma bin Adas. From this came 
another major issue. And that is, what he felt was, which is dependent on, which is all connected to the first idea was, what's the problem with number one? So you don't, so your Nefesh Abamas is not inspired. What's the practical ramification? You come back to your tzaddik, and your soul is on fire again. Your soul is on fire. But he felt that tzaddik be'monosa yichaya. It has to be tzaddik be'monosa yichya. In other words, not to be dependent only on somebody else's fire and somebody else's inspiration, but to be able to permeate, to be able to penetrate, because he felt the kavona of the world was ultimately the totality of the universe and the totality of humanity. That the Nefesh Bahamas, deep down, wants to place its mouth on the Nefesh HaLekis and declare together Yizgadol V'Yizgadosh Meirabah. Not just overwhelm the animal soul. But there was really something even deeper. And that is, where are you really in the picture? Practically speaking. Let's say, I wouldn't call it codependence. We like the word codependence. We love the word codependence. I wouldn't use the word codependence. I would use the word dependence. (laughs) Reliance. Support system. Which is good. Everybody needs support. But the question is how deep, how profound, how much, how much is that the issue? What, what, what's going to be in a generation where you may not have these tzaddikim? You're not going to have Talmidi HaBashamtav. It's not going to be easy to find somebody like the Rebbe Reb Melech of Lezhensk, or Reb Shleim Kalina, or Reb Levi of You may have nice, fine Jews, but you're not going to have that. What will remain the legacy of the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov? What will remain? If it depends on that holy energy that these tzaddikim give the people who come to them, that's the main issue. And the Torah is just, you know, a little, a little shock treatment to wake you up from your slumber. What will remain? What will remain are only stories. <laughs> You'll tell stories that used to happen by this and this person. What will remain will be rituals, external rituals. People will come, they'll eat together, they'll drink together, they'll maybe make bleachers, they'll sing together, they'll dance together, they'll do good stuff. You know, it's better than doing other things. But what will remain of the inner fire, the inner, inner awakening, the real inner dvekos? All they'll be able to talk about is stories. So some people who are less honest will make believe it's still happening. But people who are more honest with themselves are going to be dying. They're going to be choking. They're going to be like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Is this all reduced simply to the way I dress? The way I dress? The way my wife dresses? The way my wife dresses? The way my children dress? And the way I look? And that's it? And basically... The Baal Shem Tev came and wanted to infuse the Jewish world with nuclear energy. And 250 years later, you'll ask somebody, what's the message of the Baal Shem Tev today? The message of the Baal Shem Tev today is that you're not allowed to have this, 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 you're not allowed to be here, you're not allowed to look like this. You can't make believe you're this, you can't show you this, because if they think you're this, this is going to be this. And if they think you're this, no shidduchim, no schools for your children, no this. 
Really? What happened to his whole... Exactly what the Baal tried to accomplish was. Take religion out of the world of conformity, of social externalities, of social pressure, of all me looking good for you and you looking good for me, so we can both look good for my mother-in-law, so I can get the best shidduch for my kids. Taking religion and liberating it from its external falsehood, hypocrisy, smugness, stupidity, and superficiality... In the name of the Baal Shem Tev, that became enforced a thousand times even more to protect the shitta. What am I trying to protect? What are you trying to protect? People are looking for God. They're not looking for white socks. I have nothing against white socks. I like white socks. I also wear white socks. I need white socks for my feet. I have fungus. I don't mean I mean the concept. I mean the concept. Right? This the Alter Rebbe understood very, very well. And therefore, he kindled if chsidis is not going to become a conversation that becomes individualistic and personalized through the understanding of what it is, its legacy will remain a shell, a picture. That's what it will remain. All the features will be there, but like a corpse, literally like a corpse. You see a corpse, everything is there. The guy may be sleeping, but he's dead. There's nothing there. So non-serious people will go along because that's what we do. Serious people, introspective people, spiritual people will choke and become either deeply disillusioned and run away very far or remain there very repressed or whatever. You'll finish the third sentence. You'll finish the third alternative. This is what you understood very well. Why? It's all based on one thing. What is the center of it? Who is at the center of it? So this was his argument in this mimer. His argument in this mimer was that Torah Hanista Torah has to be understood to the full capacity of the human mind as much as we can, and then it can translate into emotions that become part of the internalized structure of human life. Mir brennen. But when you burn on your own, that means you're dealing with a part that's completely uninspired. So therefore, I can come to davening, I can close my eyes, I can go like this, and go like this for 45 minutes. And what is happening? So you have three types of people. You have a person who's delusional. So we're not even going there. Fine. You know, till he lands, fine. You're dreaming. As one person said, dream on. When you wake up, call the therapist. Fine, good. If it's working, it's working. But I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about a, gen- a more genuine person. A more genuine person. He's a yid. He's a vadim yid. And there's something that touches him. There used to be such yidin. They would walk into shoulder with something that touched them very deeply. They can close their eyes and get into this state of ecstasy. Get into the state of ecstasy. They don't need much. Their chilek mal is alive. Dr. Rebbe felt there's going to be a generation where that's not going to happen. So closing your eyes and lifting up your hands, you could make believe, but it's not going to be genuine. You're going to have to be able to keep your eyes open <laughs> and your hands down and relate to God from a place that is very, very divine and also very, very animalistic. For this, you need a vocabulary that addresses the truth of the human condition, which at the surface may seem as a compromise. 
but he felt is the only thing that's authentic. It's real, it's sustainable, and it's pneumistic. Never an escape. Because he felt Isarusa de la Ela, as great as it is, is ultimately an escape of your true self. And a lakus cannot be an escape. It has to be permeated. Completely permeated and penetrated. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to understand something, this is just a social commentary, so you should simply understand a little bit of history, just to understand. There's a conception by people that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was the seventh generation of the Alter Rebbe, did things with Chabad that were completely different of his predecessors. There's even some communities where they used to feel that Chabad stopped by the Rebbe. Till the Rebbe, it was holy. Certain communities where they would allow books till him. And then after that, there was like a, a breakaway. Everything became modernized. The biggest thing was the whole institution of Shlichus. Sending couples to, I don't know where, every conceivable far-flung community in the world. So some people think it was a kugel service for Jews from Brooklyn. When they go to Thailand, they want kugel. They should be able to eat hot kugel in Cancun, or, or in Thailand, or in Tokyo. Which, as I told them once, I hate to break it to you, it's a wonderful thing to serve you kugel, but it was really not... Uh, not the intent of taking a couple and telling them to go there for life so you should be able to have hot kugel or even a hot mikveh Erev Shabbos, despite the beauty of it. What does this have to do with, 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 with chassidus? Elamai, he was a social activist. People who are more civil say he really cared for Klal Yisrael. Understood post-Holocaust assimilation. And sent out people to build communities and touch Jews and build bridges everywhere. Many people sitting in this room are products of that initiative and so forth. But the truth is, it's directly linked to this mimer. And I want to explain it to you. Why? For two reasons. First of all, understand. To send somebody away 5,000 miles, or 10,000 miles, or 2,000 miles, where there's no other strimal. Friday night, there's no tish. There's not even one Jew Shema Shabbos. One Jew. No mikveh, no school, nothing. And he, not only will he not be influenced, he's going to transform his community. How do you do that? How do you take such achrayas? When so many lives of religious Jews, all depends on social pressure. People told the Rebbe in the 1950s, you take, it's after the Holocaust, communities were tiny. Yeah? Communities were tiny. In 1770, you had a, a minion on Shabbos. Like many other communities. Who was there? Either they were by Stalin or by Hitler. They were tiny communities. So everybody built their own. You build your own. What are you sending everybody away? The Rebbe said, he says, I'm happy to stay here with a minion. Everybody else should leave. Which Rebbe does this? At my tish, I want nine people. That's it. Everybody away. Go to Australia. He was happier when you were in Australia. Who does this? First of all, for yourself, you don't do it. But forget yourself. You're being mafke people. In the 1950s, it's not today where you have Chabad houses over there. In the 1950s, there was no Chabad for Chabad. There was taken no kugel. No shop is going in mamish, nothing. You were in a midbush mama. People are social creatures. We all depend on what the Baba is going to say if I don't show up, and what the yeshiva is going to say if I don't show up to the tish, I'm going to be considered a bad bacher. Take this boy and send him to Melbourne, send him to Sydney, send him to Brazil, to Peru. Who does this? Even the West Coast, then a midbush mama. 
Florida was a Midbar Shmama. How do you do this? The Pshat is that the Alter Rebbe taught that Chassidus is inside, not outside. If you manage to speak to your animal soul, then there's no difference where you are in the world, because if it's internalized. If it's external, I need the energy from the outside. If you take me away from that energy, I'm going to lose it. But because the Alter Rebbe so much emphasized the concept of Pnimius, of internalization, once it's inside of you, once the fire is burning inside of you, then you're an independent human being. Then you could be a leader. You're not a follower anymore. As long as you have to be a follower, you have to be a follower. I can't dispatch you. But if you make it yours, if you own it, I could send you anywhere because it's yours. Once it's yours, you'll be a leader. You'll be a transformer. You won't be a student. You won't be a disciple. Somebody once told the Rebbe that you send out shluchim, even if you warm them up, she says, you take a hot kettle of water and you put it in an ice bathtub. He says, at some point it's going to get cold. He says, the Rebbe said, if it's not plugged in. If it's plugged in and it generates its own source of heat, you could put in ice water for years. It will retain its heat because it's plugged in. But how you plug it in when you're far away, you don't have the external trappings. Yeah. Somebody once came to me, a Fafainayid from a particular community, and he said, You seem like an independent thinker. I said, Okay, thank you for the compliment. That's very nice. Tell my wife. <laughs> so he says, But how is it? You grew up in Chabad. Chabad's like a cult. Nobody thinks they're on their own. He said, Everybody there just to the Rebbe, the Rebbe, they don't, nobody thinks on their own. How did you manage to do that? I said, it's so interesting to me. I want to ask you a question. He lives in a very nice from community. I said, uh, how old are you? He's 37. I said, you have a meal Friday night? He says, yeah, every Friday night. I said, did you ever, ever in your life, 37 years, have a Shabbos meal with people around the table who fundamentally disagree with you on every one of your beliefs? Sit with people who don't believe anything you believe. They don't believe God exists. <laughs> they don't believe Judaism is real. They think your lifestyle is crazy. They think you did you ever have such a meal for a He says, No, why would I have such a meal? I said, Who do you sit with for I said, I sit with family. <laughs> I sit with my family. I sit with some friends sometimes, our uncle and aunt, some guests and this. And so you never ever had a meal on Shabbos with anybody who disagrees with you. Interesting, right? Now I want to tell you something. There's around five or maybe eight or nine thousand Chabadniks that every single Friday night sit at a table with five people, ten people, a hundred people or two hundred people, that almost everyone disagrees with them about most basic things. And they have conversations with them for decades after decades after decades. And every Shabbos it's new people like that. You never ever even sat at a meal with somebody you disagree with. And you know what would happen if you did? You know where you would be today? He says, when people are sitting at Shabbos tables for 30, 40, 50, there's people who disagree with them. It's only for one reason. Because they actually think on their own. Because they have to have an internalized sense of Judaism. So you should go around, start sitting at Shabbos table with people who are alien to you, and then you'll see who exactly is in a cult. But what does this come from? It has to do with how Judaism is taught. If it's internalized or externalized. There's one more detail, and that is this. You're sitting at Shalashudas, 
And the person saying Torah says, Ayid is Heilik. Ayid is the Reboyne Shalolom Zakin, the Heilik Elekamimau. Mitzoy Shabbos, you meet a Jew who's secular. Or a Jew from your community who's secular. You would think that you just heard by Shalashudas, Ayid is the Heilik Elekamimau, you go over and hug him. You tell your friend, Sagoy. Sagoy. What you just heard at Shalashud is a Torah from the Bzisha, from the Rebbe of Bzisha, or the Rebbe of Meilich, yeah, or the Rebbe of Burachol. What Ayid is? He's the Jew. What happened? The answer is the Avas Yisrael remains at the Tish by Shalashud. But the real person, I have no way of connecting the two. Because I never spoke to my own animal soul. The truth remains in heaven, abstract. You meet somebody who's a little different in the real world, it's completely not there. Why? Because you never spoke to your own animal soul. You don't even relate it to your own life. You relate it to the spiritual, mystical makif of your life. The moment you can internalize it into your own life, into your animal soul, now you can speak to anybody in the world. I once asked a guy, he was in yeshiva, he was like a parush, he was like segregated from the world. I said, how are you so successful? And uh, he was a very successful shliach somewhere. How are you so successful with people? He said, you never... Uh... So he tells me, he says, because I always fabrained with my nefesh of Bahamas, he tells me. Because <laughs> I always fabrained with my animal soul. In other words, once something is internalized, then you could speak to anybody about it. Because you don't have to close your eyes, pick up your eye and say, Kedisha, 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 Kedisha. That, now this is in a gener- even in a generation where when they closed their eyes, they felt God. And still the Balatanya argued. Still he argued. I don't need you to feel him when you close your eyes. I need you to feel him when you open your eyes. What about in a generation when very few people know even how to close their eyes, and those who are closing their eyes are not feeling anything? Besides maybe a few Yechidei Zgula. A generation where you don't have that natural flow. So he understood, therefore that there has to be an appreciation and a sensitivity to the fact that you shouldn't rely on the Adam ki yakriv mikem karben lashem. Even in a time when you'll feel the yakriv, don't rely on it. Even in a time, certainly in a time when you don't have such people, at least not easily found, that you'll come into their presence and you'll say, wow, achin yesh Hashem ba'makem hazeh. So now we can understand what he told them. Erbrent, Chaikelbrent in them. And that's a big thing. That you could be far away and you're in a shul and you go in for Shachris to Davin. And you could feel the fire of your Rebbe. That's not a small thing. That's a compliment. Chaikelbrent in them. Wow. That's how deeply connected he was. There was a certain loyalty, a certain simple dedication and love that Chaikelbrent in them. Mir villain as mezala lane brennan. Mir villain mezala lane brennan. You have to become your own person. Avoid this Hashem has to belong to you. What does you mean? Means means really you. So I'll finish. The Rebbe Rashab was the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. He once went to Vienna in 1903. He went to Vienna. He visited Dr. Freud for a few months. He went to visit Dr. Sigmund Freud. 1903 in Vienna. And uh, he went all the way from Belarus, Lubavitch, to Vienna in 1903. And uh, 
He was there for a few months. So his son was with him. The Rayat, the Rebbe later became the Rebbe Rayats. So every morning they would go to a shul, and they would learn for around six hours. And they learned primarily those few months. They learned Chayshem Mishpat, Chayshem Mishpat in Tur and Shulchan Aruch with Beis Yosef and the Mefarshim. The Rashab learned with his son for a few months every morning for many hours. This was a shtibel in Vienna. It was called the Primishlaner Shul. It was Hasidim of that Beit Yehuda, Reb Meir of Primishlan. It's one of the great tzaddikim of his time. And this was like a Hasidim of Primishlan. They had a shtibel, a shul in Vienna. That's where he would learn. They did it. He, he told his son, "Don't tell anybody who I am." He didn't want they should know that he's the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He wanted the privacy, the confidentiality, and they would sit and learn. Once, on El Terech, a chassid, a primishlan, a chassid, comes over to the Rashab, and uh, after he finishes learning, and he says, Junge man, genug shoin mit the cup, the cup, the cup, the cup, mit af abyssal hearts. He says, enough with the head. He says, chayshem mishpat, chayshem mishpat, chayshem mishpat. Ayid needs inspiration. You need a heart. Can look at everything I use intellectual. He says, I don't know who you are, but <laughs> the heart, I don't see emotions for you. So the Rebbe his father said, he wants to say something. He's like, but his father said, you don't say, so he's quiet. So the Rebbe Rashab looks at him and humbly he says, Nu, take. Wie, wie the heart. How do I inspire my heart, not only my mind? He says, ah, now you're talking. That's a good question. He says, I'm going to bring you a Sefer. You start learning this Sefer. You learn this Sefer, you'll get inspired. He goes and he brings a Tanya. And he gives the Rebbe Rashab, he gives him a Tanya. He says, this Sefer will be more to your heart. That's how the Rebbe Rashab took the Sefer, he looks at it, and he says, ah, a good Sefer. A good Sefer. It's a good book. Okay. Sunday, Monday, there's no Shear. Okay, so Shabbos, Sunday, and Monday, there's no shirim. I'm out of town. A good Shabbos, everybody. Shabbos. What happened to Freud? we don't know. His diaries from that year are missing. From the Rashab, they know a little bit. He was in Vienna for a few months. He went to the Chassam Seifers, Yeshiva. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.